0: the grid, a digital frontier. I pictured patriots as they moved throughout our country. Do they look like individuals or small business? Were the rallies like church? I keep dreaming of a world I hope to one day see. And then, today, I got in. Hello, fellow Americans. This is Chris Coleman, your host with the Kingdom Patriot Group. Welcome to The Grid, where faith, politics, and commerce intersect. It's in the news everywhere. That's all you've been hearing from the state of Florida. Not the great things that they're doing, not the advances they've made against COVID before any of the other states. Nope, it's the passage of the don't say gay bill. Well, we are here today to bring some truth to this conversation and I have in front of me the full printout of the bill itself, seven pages. And we are gonna dissect this today so that you too can not only be informed but you can espouse truth where it needs to be shared. Sandcastles Cottages of Southwest Michigan is a family-owned property featuring nine cozy cottages just one mile from beach access to beautiful Lake Michigan. These cottages are in a community nestled between St. Joseph and South Haven and Michigan's Great Southwest. Sandcastles Cottages are perfect for short-term and long-term retreats, rejuvenation, or refreshing recharge. Your Airbnb accommodations are hosted by a family who loves God and loves our country. They are the epitome Of American Small Business. Check them out at sandcastlescottages.com or call 269-769-8288 to book your stay. Again, that's sandcastlescottages.com or 269-769-8288. When you call, tell them you're a kingdom patriot. In order to expand our audience to like-minded believers and patriots, you have to tell them about us. How do you do that? I'm so glad you asked. Right now, in this moment, hit that follow button on your podcast and give us a five-star rating. Tell your friends and your neighbors about this community. Share any episode on your social media. If you feel compelled to share that photo of little Johnny who fell in a puddle, then surely sharing an episode of The Grid is just as easy. Help us today. Tell others about the Kingdom Patriot Group and this podcast, The Grid. This is News in Review
1: for The Grid. With remarks and color commentary, I'm Sean Griffin. When it comes to the news, this week was as full as any other week, but we want to turn our attention to two news stories in particular. One of the biggest stories was the confirmation of Supreme Court Justice Ketanji Brown Jackson, the newly confirmed justice who was chosen for her race and gender yet cannot supply the Senate with the definition of the word woman, was sworn in on Friday. At her confirmation ceremony, Biden said, I knew it wouldn't be easy, but I knew the person I nominated will be put through a painful and difficult confirmation process. But I have to tell you, he went on to say, at a much slower pace than mine, what Judge Jackson was put through was well beyond that. There was verbal abuse, the anger, The constant interruptions, the most vile, baseless assertions and accusations. In the face of it all, Judge Jackson showed the incredible character and integrity she possesses. Can you say Gorsuch? Can you say Kavanaugh? Give me a break. She had one week of tough questions about her actual record. And out of that, we get a justice who doesn't know the definition of the word woman. Clinton's word was is. Jackson's word is woman. The irony is unjust. What is it with Democrats and definitions? For our second story, we turn our attention to technology and Elon Musk. In the interest of full disclosure, I must say I just love Elon Musk. Love might be a strong word, but I greatly admire his business prowess, his vision, and his wit. He's fascinating to listen to in an interview. I do not agree with his base premise about climate, climate change, and the world-dominating epic falsity known as the climate crisis. But I do like what he's doing with electric cars, batteries, solar, space transport, satellite internet, and subterranean mass transit. He's a brilliant guy and doesn't take himself seriously. For the past couple of weeks, Elon has reminded me of Bruce Wayne Bruce had a little trouble with the management outside at the fountain, so he bought the hotel. Elon had a little trouble with Twitter's approach to free speech, so he bought 9.2% of the company shares, and now, as the largest shareholder, he's on the board of directors. I'm having so much fun with this story. Dear Twitter personnel, did you get the memo? From Fox Business, the headline reads, Elon Musk floats turning Twitter's headquarters into a homeless shelter. I about fell out of my chair when I read that headline, I laughed so hard. Elon Musk, Twitter Incorporated's largest shareholder at 9.2% of shares, proposed turning the social media company's San Francisco headquarters into a homeless shelter because no one shows up anyway. Musk ran that proposal up the poll via a Twitter poll Saturday night. By Sunday morning, close to 1.2 million people had responded, with 91.1% of them liking the idea. Thumbs up, Elon. Musk quietly acquired the largest stake a week ago after having been vocal about the way Twitter has been manhandling free speech on the platform. Musk is well known for his tongue-in-cheek tweets, and this past week cheeked out a number of suggested changes for the platform. The homeless shelter is my personal favorite. Musk will also participate in a town hall question and answer session with Twitter employees, some of whom have expressed concern about Musk's presence at the company. I would pay good money to hear that Q&A session on live stream. Pass the popcorn. On March 26, he tweeted, Given that Twitter serves as the de facto public town square, Failing to adhere to free speech principles fundamentally undermines democracy. What should be done? Is a new platform needed? He tweeted later. Then, made like Bruce Wayne and whipped out the checkbook. In the inimitable words of Scooby-Doo, Row. That wraps this week's news and review. For The Grid, I'm Sean Griffin.
0: Now, I don't consider myself an attorney, and I will tell you some of the language in a legislation sometimes going to be a little bit laborious and a little bit verbose. But I do think I can get the premise of this bill pretty easy. And the first thing I want to tell you in this Florida bill is the first two and a half pages is what I would call a summary, a document just to say here are some of the principles that you will find in this bill. Things such as requiring school boards to adopt procedures that align with current law to notify a student's parent of certain information and requiring all of those procedures that they put together to reinforce the fundamental right of parents to make decisions regarding the upbringing and control of their children in a specified manner. It also prohibits procedures from prohibiting a parent from accessing certain records. It prohibits a school from adopting procedures that would encourage or have the effect of encouraging a student to withhold from a parent such information. It prohibits school district personnel from discouraging and prohibiting parental notification and involvement in critical decisions affecting a student's mental, emotional, or physical well-being. It includes prohibiting classroom discussions about sexual orientation or gender identity in certain grade levels or in certain specified manners. It requires certain training to be developed or provided by a school district to adhere to the standards established by the Department of Education, requiring school districts to notify parents of health care services and provide parents the opportunity to consent or decline such services. It also provides that if a parent consents to such medical disservice, it does not waive the parental rights And it does not, and it still requires school districts to provide parents with certain questionnaires or health screening forms and obtain parental permission in advance before administering such questionnaires and forms. And this is a big one. This incredibly vicious law actually requires school districts to adopt procedures that allow a process for parents to get their conflicts and concerns resolved. Wow, that's radical. So let's just dive right in. Here in section one, this is the first part under student welfare. In accordance with the rights of parents enumerated in SS.1002.20 and 1014.04, Adopt procedures for notifying a student's parent if there is a change in the student's services or monitoring related to the student's mental, emotional, or physical health or well-being and the school's ability to provide a safe and supporting learning environment for the student. The procedure must reinforce the fundamental right of parents to make decisions regarding the upbringing and control of their children by requiring school district personnel to encourage a student to discuss issues relating to his or her well-being with his or her parent or to facilitate discussion of the issue with the parent the procedures may not prohibit parents from accessing any of their students education and health records created maintained or used by the school district as required by 1002.22 in plain english if something is going on with your child and there is a change then the school cannot put policies and procedures in place that says the parents can't be notified and in fact Uh, It cannot waive the parent's ability to access information at all. And that it must reinforce the parent's right that they are the ones that are in control. They are the ones that are the most supportive. They are the ones that are in charge of their child's upbringing. Section two, a school district may not adopt procedures or student support forms that prohibit school district personnel from notifying a parent about his or her student's mental, emotional, physical health or well-being or a change in related services or monitoring or that encourage or to have the effect of encouraging a student to withhold from a parent such information. Really? I mean, this, this seems just elementary to me. The school district must reaffirm the fact that parents are in the position to know. It goes on, school district personnel may not discourage or prohibit parental notification of and involvement in critical decisions affecting a student's mental, emotional, and physical health or well-being. This subparagraph does not prohibit a school district from adopting procedures that permit school personnel to withhold such information from a parent if a reasonably prudent person would believe that disclosure would result in abuse, abandonment, or neglect, as those terms are defined in 39.01. This is critical because this is like the main argument. We've got to keep the kids safe. Because they may not feel comfortable in sharing information with their parents related to um, gender uh, ideation or, or changes in what they believe about themselves. And this paragraph spells it out. You cannot develop procedures that prohibit notifying the parent. You cannot encourage a, a student to withhold this from a parent. You can't stop a parent from accessing information. But what you can do, if you are truly concerned about the child's welfare and you actually believe that there is potential abuse, abandonment, or neglect, there is an out. There is a provision there that you would withhold that information from a parent. Let's keep going. Section 3, the one that's probably got the most attention. Classroom instruction by school personnel or third parties on sexual orientation or gender identity may not occur in kindergarten through third grade or in a manner that is not age-appropriate or developmentally appropriate for students in accordance with state standards. That is the uproar. How many times is the word gay mentioned in this law? How many times is the word gay mentioned in section three? That's right. They're the same. Zero. And yet this is what we have heard more than anything. This is the one that has gotten the absolute most attention. And when I say that, what we're talking about is people saying that they, so let's turn this around. This prohibits school personnel from having conversations on sexual orientation or gender identity from kindergarten to third grade. So if you're against that, what you're saying is, I want sexual orientation. I want gender identity conversations to occur before third grade. That's an effect. The people who oppose this, that is what they're saying. That's what they're saying. So let's go on. Section four, student support services training developed or provided by school district to school district personnel must adhere to student services guidelines, standards, and frameworks established by the Department of Education. So what this is also saying The Department of Education in the state of Florida trumps the local school district. And so if there are laws or procedures or processes in place that protect kids, then they are required in that local school district to follow that. Section five: At the beginning of the school year, each school district shall notify parents of each healthcare service offered at their student's school and the option to withhold consent or decline any specified service. Parental consent to a healthcare service does not waive the parent's right to access his or her student's educational or health records or to be notified about a change in his student, his or her student's services or monitoring provided by this paragraph. So what they're saying is, you got to let them know in advance. You got to let them know what services are provided, what are going to be provided. And the parents have the right to either accept that or decline that. And if they decline that, well, let me rephrase, if they accept that, they still have access to the records. Just by accepting that you're going to provide a certain type of education does not automatically revoke a parent's ability to access that information. Let's continue. Section six. Before administering a student well-being questionnaire or health screening form to a student in kindergarten through grade three, the school district must provide the questionnaire or health screening form to the parent and obtain the permission of the parent. Do I really need to dissect this? Before you send a questionnaire asking little Johnny if he pretends or wishes he was a girl sometimes, that if you were to ask that form that the parent gets to see it first and actually approve of it and get and give permission for their child to receive that. I mean, come on. Section seven, each school district shall adopt procedures for a parent to notify the principal or his or her designee regarding concerns under this paragraph at his or her student's school and the process for resolving those concerns within seven calendar days days after notification. Now, section seven, I could just, I'm not going to read the whole thing because it is pretty long and there's several subsections, but basically it is saying this. Each school district has has to create procedures and policies so that when a parent notifies a principal that, hey, I'm really concerned at what's being taught or I have a real concern, The school has to have a formal process to address that parent's concern. And in fact, those procedures actually require that after they've been notified by the parent, they have 30 days um, to to resolve it. And if they don't, then they have to provide a statement of reason of why they're not going to resolve that concern. And if it's not resolved by the school district, these are the options given to the parent by law. The parent can request the commissioner of education to appoint a special magistrate who is a member of the Florida bar in good standing has at least five years experience in administrative law. To me, this sounds a lot like what arbitration would look like. The magistrate will hear the arguments from both sides and then they have 30 days uh, to issue their recommendation to the state board of education. And then the state board of education must either approve or reject the recommendation decision of the special magistrate at its next scheduled meeting to give some timelines there. Here's a kicker. The cost of that special magistrate shall be borne by the school district. The State Board of Education shall adopt rules, including forms necessary to implement that subparagraph. So this is a big one. Why is that a big deal? Because when you bring in somebody who arbitrates, it definitely costs money to do that. You've got travel. You've got time. If somebody's part of the state bar. You're probably talking four or $500 an hour. I mean, it can be a significant cost. Why is that in there? It actually creates protection for the parents, and it incentivizes the school to resolve that parent's concern. That's huge. So that was option one for a parent if their concern is not resolved. Option number two, they can bring action against the school district and and obtain a declaratory judgment that the school district procedure or practice violates the paragraph and seek injunctive relief. A court may award damages and shall award reasonable attorney fees and court costs to a parent who receives declaratory or injunctive relief. Again, why is that important? because those costs could be significant depending on the action that the school district is trying to take. And I say that because again, what this law is doing is it's saying that parents are in control, parents have a choice, and if they have concerns, if they have legitimate concerns, there must be a pathway to resolve those. And the school district is incentivized to actually resolve those concerns rather than to be incentivized to tell a parent to go jump off a bridge without any repercussions whatsoever. This law goes into effect July 1, 2022. And then in June 2023, the Department of Education has to review and update as necessary. The school counseling, framework standards, kind of educator practices, professional conduct principles, any other student services, personnel guidelines, standards, or frameworks in accordance with requirements of this act. I just read to you the whole law. Gay is nowhere in the law. LGBTQ, zero. Transgender, zero. Pansexual, zero. None of that is in this law. In fact, I would say for the majority of this, it's actually not about the teaching of sexual orientation and gender identity. That is under Section 3, but really the entire law is aimed at giving parents back the rights that they should have as the parent of the child to be in control and in charge of that child's education. And if, in fact, a school tries to usurp that authority of a parent, the parent has a process and pathway to correct that. And if the school continues to fight back against that, then it can cost the, the school district significantly. I think this is a fantastic law. I think it's been blown way, way out of proportion as people have tried to take it and try to do something with it to foster, to support, to promote an ideology and agenda. It's just not there, folks. And that's why we're here today. We're here to tell you the truth so that you can take this information. And if you hear anybody say the Florida don't say gay law, or don't say gay bill, you will know they have not read it. But they—but you know you have because you listen to the Kingdom Patriot podcast. That's all we have for today. I encourage you to go look at the bill yourself. It's House Bill 1557 from the Florida Legislature. Interested in a particular topic that you want us to cover? If so, email us at admin at kingdompatriot.us. That's admin at kingdompatriot.us. We'd love to hear from you today. And thanks again to our sponsor, Sandcastles Cottages. Visit sandcastlescottages.com or call 269-769-8288 to book your stay for short-term or long-term retreats. Don't forget to visit our website at kingdompatriot.us to join the movement of faith and freedom. That's kingdompatriot.us. Join today so that together we can make a difference. Your membership is appreciated, your input is valued, and your voice is needed. I'm Chris Kuhlman and I am a kingdom patriot.